Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoyed this message from our midweek service. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoyed this message. Well, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving tonight. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be with you. I'm excited about tonight. Um, I'll be speaking from our theme, Joy. All right, someone's excited. Thank you. Is that Philip? Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but we're, we are now two weeks, exactly two weeks away from Christmas. And for some of you, that may bring great joy, and for others of you may bring great, great anxiety or, or something, you know, uh, some nerves. Uh, but I, I thought about that, and, and I always enjoy speaking uh, around, uh, around this holiday because it's Advent. We're in Advent, and uh, that's not necessarily a word that we use a lot around here, but, um, but Advent is something that we should all be very familiar with and very aware of. Um, whenever we're thinking about Jesus and, uh, and, and his first coming to, to this world, um, we should celebrate that, and, uh, and, and we should acknowledge that, obviously. But really what, what we should be also uh, celebrating is, is, uh, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so when, you know, so, so around this holiday, um, Christmas time, you know, we celebrate baby Jesus in the manger. We see the nativity scenes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but don't ever forget that our king is coming back again for a bride that's without spot or wrinkled, washed in the blood of the lamb. That's us. That's us. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, tonight I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk, and my message is titled, Be Perfect. So why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them, Be Perfect. All right, all right. I'm going to give you one more chance to do it with a little bit more, a little bit more joy or a little bit more energy. Turn to your other neighbor and tell them, Be Perfect. Be Perfect. Amen. Amen. Well, I think that's funny that, uh, that, you know, our theme of this month is joy, and I'm up here telling you to be perfect. How many of you get a little bit of, uh, maybe get a little tight when someone says be perfect, um, because that's kind of a tall order, right? It's kind of a tall order to be perfect. But I, I want you to understand this tonight, and, and we're going to get through this, but this is a command by Jesus that we would be perfect. And so we want to unpack that. We want to see what, what that's all about. And so um, why don't you pray with me real quick. Let's just ask God to be with us tonight. Pray right there where you're at. So Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, we thank you, God, that we could come together in one mind and one accord as a family, God. Lord, to give you glory and to give you honor. I pray tonight, God, Lord, as we move through your word, God, let your word reign with absolute truth. Father, your word is the highest authority in this place and in our lives, God. I pray, Father, that it would bring change and transformation to your people. In Jesus' name, the church of God said amen. Amen, amen. Well, uh, I'm going to get right into it. I, I, again, I, I always, you know, I, I was thinking about um, 
Paul the Apostle, he says that I didn't come to you with eloquent words. I didn't come to you to, to wow you with uh, how smart he was. Uh, and so tonight, I, you know, hopefully no one came in here, uh, you know, uh, wanting me to entertain, entertain them or wow you with my, with my brilliance because you'll be sadly uh, uh, disappointed. Uh, but really what I want to do is I want us to read some of the scripture together. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight. All right, and I think that it's very, very powerful that we read the Bible. I said that I, I think that it's very, very powerful that we read the Word of God. And so, amen. Um, and, and so if you don't read your, your Bible, um, you need to do that because there's power in that. So we're going to read, uh, we're going to read a very, very familiar uh, uh, scripture. It's, um, it's the Beatitudes and really it's the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read about 48 verses tonight. And so, uh, so buckle in, all right? It's going to be great, and uh, um, it's, it's going to be awesome. So uh, we'll, we'll start Matthew 5, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through to 48. We're just going to read that whole thing, and uh, I believe that God is going to speak to us tonight. So Matthew 5, 1, it says this. Um, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, real quick, let me pause. I'm sorry. Let me, let me give you a little bit of context here. So uh, those of you that, that, that read the word and, and understand what's going on here, Jesus, this is Jesus' first public ministry. Okay, so what, what happened is Jesus has grown in, in stature. He's become a man. Um, he's now gone through the wilderness, and he was tempted by the devil uh, three, by three temptations. And then he comes out of the wilderness, and he's preaching the gospel. And he says, uh, he, he comes preaching the gospel saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he, he, he goes and he's preaching that, and then he calls his disciples. And so his disciples are now following him. He says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And so they're following him now. And so now he's walking through Galilee, and he's preaching. And so this is, this is the scene right here. So God has been, or Jesus has been empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach the good news, and he's declaring and he's teaching. Now everywhere Jesus went, he was doing three things. Three things were happening. This is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. These three things were happening. He was preaching, he was teaching, and he was healing. He was preaching, he was teaching, and he was healing. So whenever you're looking for a manifestation of the kingdom of God, you need to look to see if someone is teaching, if someone is preaching, and if there's healing going on. All three of those things will be present when the manifested kingdom of God is here on earth. So this is Jesus. This is what he's doing right here. And he goes into the Beatitudes. Matthew 5 verse 3 says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm not going to stop and try to exegete every single one of these scriptures, but I want to say this. What he's saying here, blessed are the poor in spirit, are blessed are those that are humble in spirit and not leaning on their own self-righteousness, but leaning totally dependent on God. So blessed are those that are humble in spirit or poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think about this all the time. When I come together in our, in our prayer meetings, um, whether it's here on a Saturday or uh, in, before our services or even during our worship service, I was watching everyone. And, uh, um, and there's just, such a, there's just a, such a hunger and thirst every time we come 
together. And so this is a promise to you uh, as you come to this place, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, is that you will be filled. And so the, the Spirit of God will fill you as you hunger and thirst towards His righteousness. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure, pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are those, uh, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Turn to your neighbor and say, rejoice, rejoice and be glad. When you're being persecuted, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now he begins to, now, now he transitions. And we all know this, we're, we're very familiar with this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So listen to this. We're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be preserving the goodness and righteousness and justice and mercy and grace of God here on this earth. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is, this is what he's saying is, is to do good things, so not that you would be recognized as a great person, but so that people would recognize God and glorify God through the way that you live your life. We're to be lights. He transitions now. He's talking, Jesus is talking about himself, and he says this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll pause right there. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were people that adhered to the, the law um, to, to the letter. They exemplified uh, um, uh, righteousness externally. And so they were, they were very, very close followers or adherers to the law. And so they, uh, they put that on display for everyone. They made sure that no one missed how, how good they were um, and their good deeds and all these different things. And so what Jesus is saying is that if you're not as good as them, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Here we go. So verse 21 says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. How many of us have been angry? Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, 
is answerable to, to the core. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then, uh, then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, settle, matter, settle matters quickly with your, adverse, your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in, uh, with her in his heart. Listen to this. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus starts talking about hell here. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill, the, uh, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. How many of us have made some vows in our lives that we've broken? Some of us. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair White or black. I wish I could make some more black here. Amen. Verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. How many of us are, are with that? And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's a reason why I walked through all of those, uh, that, that whole sermon there, that, that the whole piece there is because Jesus is setting his standard for our living. Now, as you can see there, Jesus sets, sets a standard uh, that is unachievable. Yes? Unattainable. If you've ever 
been angry with someone, you've now committed murder in your heart. If you've ever lusted after the opposite sex, you've now committed adultery in your heart. Not only that, but if, if you've ever coveted over someone else's stuff. How many of us have maybe a little, been a little bit jealous? Someone gets a new car, someone, you know, whatever. It's okay. No, no one? Just me. Okay. All right. But Jesus sets the standard of, of living. He says, this is, this is what it will take to be holy and righteous in my sight. And so Jesus says all of these different things and sets this standard for one reason and one reason only. Well, maybe two reasons. Here we go. The first one is this, is that that is the holy standard of a holy God. God cannot accept anything less than perfection or holiness. And so that is his standard. He can't deny himself. So he sets the standard of holiness. The second reason Jesus is teaching this is so that we would not be self-righteous and look at ourselves and look at our good deeds or justify in our conscience that we're pretty good people. We would fully understand that we are never, ever, ever going to achieve the holiness and the righteousness that's put in standard by God. And in turn, we should realize that we are totally dependent on God. Fully dependent on God. We can do nothing apart from God. And so being perfect. So I'm going to define that for us. Perfect uh, in, the, in the Webster Dictionary says, having all the required or desirable elements, qualities or characteristics as good as it is possible to be, flawless and, fault, and faultless. That's pretty tough. So let's put up this picture here. Wrong picture. There we go. All right. All right. I think so. Thank you. So, uh, so two things going on here. Like I said last time, anytime I get a chance to brag on my family, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. But listen to this. This right here is pretty perfect in my eyes. Um, so, so shout out to, uh, to my sister-in-law, Amanda Moctezuma, for taking our family pictures. Appreciate that. Um, and so looking at this, this picture, it's picture perfect, right? And so most of you, when you're looking at this picture, uh, you would know that um, this picture was set up. Um, it's been edited, right? Uh, it's been filtered and all those different things. So why is that? Why is it that we, uh, you see on, on social media and things like that, the right picture, you see selfies, you see certain people. I go to the gym a lot, and I always see people like hitting the selfies, and they're usually there for, for a few minutes because they're trying to get the right light and all, all this kind of stuff and post it and, and, and all those different things. But this is, this is, this is picture perfect. Now, for context, uh, you look at that and you might say, uh, oh, look at them. They're, you know, they're the cute little family. You know, everything is, everything is great. Everything is, is good and, and uh, you know, good for them. Uh, but that's just not my reality. Well, uh, without knowing the context of how we got here, uh, you wouldn't know that the, all the pain and the suffering um, and, and really uh, the, the things that we've gone through uh, as a family 
that, that uh, to get us to the point to where we're at here, all smiling and everything like that. Even the day of, even the day of, uh, as you guys might imagine, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a circus. Uh, we're trying to get the kids in and trying to get them, trying to get everyone to smile, trying to get everyone, you know, without blinking and all that kind of stuff, um, just to capture this one moment, right? And so we would capture this one moment, and then we're going to make Christmas cards out of this, right? And we're going to send that out to everyone, and everyone's going to say, oh, look at, you know, hopefully everyone says, oh, look at that good-looking family and all, and all that kind of stuff. So why do we do that? Well, we do that because we want to put our best foot forward. We want to look, and I'm not saying that we're, I'm not saying that we're jacked up, but we're not perfect. But we want to, we want to put out this, this image that we're all right. We're perfect. We got it all together. Um, you wouldn't know that there were weeks and weeks of planning and coordinating uh, the right light, the right timing, the right location, um, the right... The, the clothes and, and, and coordinating all that kind of stuff. My beautiful wife did that for us, made us look great. Um, but there was a lot of things that went into this. There's a lot of things that went into this. And, and the reason that we did this and, and we put it out there is because uh, we're, 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 we are aware of our self-image and, and all these different things. And so we want to we wanna put our best foot forward. You guys understand what I'm saying? So we would never put out a picture uh, where we're not all put together like this, right? Where, where, um, where you know, um, the makeup's not all done, uh, you know, the hair's not all perfect, and, uh, you know, I'm not freshly shaved or anything like that. Um, we would always put our best foot forward because we're aware of, of the image. And the reason for that is because uh, all of us desire perfection, all of us want to look good. All of us want people to think that we look good. Some of you guys are like, I don't care what no one thinks. Yeah, right. That's why you're so self-conscious. Anyways. So listen to this. We all desire perfection, but the madness of perfection is that it's not attainable. And so you, you may know people that are perfectionists and things like that. They're always finding the flaw in what they're doing. They're consistently looking at things and, and, and uh, um, uh, you know, finding everything that's wrong in their life. And then they're trying to get better and, and things like that. And it's, it's, a, it's a non-ending pursuit. And so uh, the, the next picture is this. There we go. Angelina Jolie. So this is a celebrity, obviously. And uh, um, this is the unfiltered picture on the, your left and the filter picture on the right. And we can scroll through this. So, so these are people that, um, you know, by, by the worldly standards, some people would say these are beautiful people or, or whatever it is. Um, but, but there's all of this software and all these things that clean up all the blemishes and, and take away all the things. Even in my picture, uh, you guys wouldn't know this, but my eye was beat red, like it was bleeding red. Uh, but you guys wouldn't know that because there's software and there's Photoshop and, and we, we clean that stuff up. But we're so, we're, we're so concerned about what we look like on the outside. Um, I, I looked up the statistic and, and the beauty industry, the beauty industry is 500, that's Torah, huh? <laughs> I know. I saw some worse ones, but that's all right. Um, but listen to this. 
The beauty industry is a $532 billion industry. The beauty industry is a $532 billion with a B. $532 billion industry. And all of this to say that we care about the way that we look. We care about our self-image. We care about what people think about us. And so Jesus, as he was talking through, as, as he was preaching, he was referring to the letter of the law, but he was pulling out the spirit of the law. And so as, as he spoke about the Pharisees and the religious leaders, how they held close to the letter of the law, he began to unpackage, and really for us, uh, my hope tonight is that we begin, we, we begin to have a revelation of, uh, of the fact that God is more interested in what's going on inwardly than what's going on outwardly. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was speaking to a certain cultural standard that has settled into the Jewish people. And so, like I said, he was speaking the letter of the law, but then pulling out the spirit of the law. So the religious people, they took great pride in adhering to the letter of the law. Um, Jesus goes on later on in Matthew 23. He goes in, it's the, it's the seven woes. Anybody ever heard of the seven woes? And Jesus just slams. He just rebukes the Pharisees. I'm going to read two of them to you. This is what he says. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And so he's telling the Pharisees, look, man, you, to the tenth of your spices and mint and dill, but you've neglected the more important things, the matters of law and justice and mercy and faithfulness. He goes on to say, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then in the outside also will be clean. And so Jesus set a, a clear standard for all, for all of us to aspire towards, and that's to be perfect. And so when Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the reason that he does this, I, I believe, is that uh, in his unthinkable wisdom and unmatched counsel, he positions it this way, that apart from, apart from God, without us being totally dependent on God, without us having our total confidence in him, we can never be blessed. We will never inherit the kingdom of God. So he says, blessed are those that are humble in spirit or poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So after the Beatitudes, there's eight Beatitudes. After the Beatitudes, he walks through the salt and light talking about how we're a preserving force of righteousness, mercy, justice, and goodness in the world. Goes on to say that we are, the sh we are supposed to be the shining light, bright for all to see, that God would be glorified, not ourselves. 
So people want to look to us and say, oh, that's a generous person or, hey, that's a, that's a, that's a good person or whatever it is. But that through our good deeds that God would be glorified in that. He goes on to speak of fulfilling the law, which is impossible for us to do because under the law we are left for wanting. And the law in itself is incomplete. Then goes on to talk about murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, vengeance, and loving our enemies. And so I want to just kind of pause here and ask you, how are you doing in those areas? How are you doing in the areas of anger and vengeance? Is your word your bond? Do you break your word? Are you someone that's trustworthy? How are you doing in loving your enemies? Maybe I'll back up a little bit. How are you doing in loving your neighbors? <laughs> How are you doing in loving the people that you're sitting next to even right now? My goodness. Help us, Lord. So this should bring us to a keen realization that we will never live up to the holy standard of a holy God. So anything less than this is sin. Anything less than this is sin. And so the truth is that sin, as defined in the original translations of the Bible, means to miss the mark. Say that. Say miss the mark. To miss the mark. And all that means is that you've not fulfilled what you were, in, what you were, what you were born and intended to fulfill. You've missed the mark. And so... Uh, a lot of us, we could point to sin because we say that sin is, you've done something bad, and it is that. It's, it's, yes, if you offend a holy God, that is sin. But more importantly, instead of the right and the wrong, it's truly, have you missed the mark? So God has, God has birthed us, God has created us to glorify him and bring him glory in this world. To, to preach the gospel, to demonstrate his love, and his kindness, his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy. And the sin is that some of us have missed the mark. So the mark in this case is the standard of perfection established by God and evidenced by Jesus. Viewed in that light, we are all sinners. Yes? So the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all there together. And so looking at the word perfect in the Greek language, used in this context as having reached its end, purpose, or goal, or in other words, to be complete. And so perfection is the requirement and the end scope of our lives and faith in Jesus Christ. So listen to this. To be perfect in this context means that you are fulfilling your end goal and doing what God has called you to do. That's how you'll achieve perfection in this life. Anything short from that is sin, which means you've missed the mark. And so if you're not living your life for purpose-filled, if you're not living a missional life to, to glorify God in everything that you do, to raise up your family in the things of God, if you're not doing those things, you've not reached your end, you've not been perfected, and you're now in sin. And so we are made perfect not by our, our own doing, but by the, the wonderful work of Christ. Hebrews 7, 18 
says this, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. We're talking about the law doing right and wrong, the difference between right and wrong. And so we're saying the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. The law in itself made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Hebrews 7.18. So this should bring us true joy. I have four, I think four things. Four things that should bring us joy as we draw near to God. So these are the promises that we have as we draw near to God. You guys ready for them? You guys want to write them down? Okay, all right. So the first thing is this, that as we draw near to God, God will draw near to you, James 4.8. As you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's a promise from God. The second thing is that as you draw near to God, he will guide you into all truth and show you things to come. And so listen to this. Many of us are, how many of us are trying to find the will of God for our lives? All right. I'm going to make it very easy for you. This should bring you joy. That if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And as you draw near to God, he'll draw you into all truth. And as you're drawn into truth, you're now walking in the will of God. As you're drawn into truth, he'll begin to show you the will of God, the will for your life. The Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. The steps, one, two, one right after the other. The steps of the righteous are ordered by God. And so if you're looking for the will of God, be drawn into his truth. Read his word. Pray. Get around some people that, that could give you some counsel, some godly counsel. To guide you into all truth and show you things to come. John 16, 13. The next thing as we draw near to God, he will make you perfectly strong. Nehemiah 8.10 8, says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Amen. Some, some of you guys got the joy. It's okay. It's all right. So that word strength is dunamis. I think we've heard that before. What dunamis means is God's miracle working power. So the joy of the Lord will manifest itself as God's miracle working power in your life. It's a dynamic power. If you're not experiencing that dynamic power, miracle working power of God in your life, I would suggest that you draw near to God and allow him to empower you. The next thing as we draw near to God is that as you draw near to God, he will give you everything you need. As you draw near to God, he will give you everything you need. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And so my question today is, what do you need? Do you need healing? Do you need a financial breakthrough? Do you need restoration in your marriage? Do you need restoration in your family? Whatever it is that you need, as you draw near to God, he will give you what it is that you need. 
the true expression of Christian character is not in good doing. I'm going to say that again. The true expression of the Christian character is not in good doing, but in God-likeness. If the Spirit of God has transformed you within, you will demonstrate divine characteristics in your life, not just good human characteristics. So God's life in us expresses itself as God's life, not as human life trying to be godly. And so listen to this. As you're drawing near to God, as you're walking in step with the Lord, Psalms 1-1, I love that psalm. Um, it talks about if you're walking in the light, if you're walking with God, and you'll, you'll, you'll manifest, you'll manifest God-likeness. It'll just begin to pour out of you. It'll just become to begin to, to, to stir up in your spirit like a well. And it's not going to be you striving to do right and wrong. It's going to be you striving to stay close to God so that God's power by his spirit would manifest everywhere that you go. That everywhere you go, you'll be teaching, you'll be preaching, and there'll be healing going on. Every, every situation that you step into, you'll be a peacemaker. You'll bring peace into the situation. Every situation that you're in, whether you're at, you're at a job or you're, you're, uh, you're, you're the owner of your business, there'll be blessing on your business because you're walking and you're in step and you're drawing near to God. Everywhere that you go, you'll be manifesting the kingdom of God. And so these are all, this is, this is a tall order. This is a tall order. I understand this is a tall task. And so really all it is is us understanding, number one, that we can't, we can't do this on our own. And so oftentimes we're trying to be a good person. We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to be everything to everyone. But that's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to just draw near to him and allow his power to work through our lives. It's not of human effort. There's nothing that you could do. It's total dependence on God. So Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, and we can have the, the worship team come up here. I'm, I'm getting ready to close. Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, he says this. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is talking about here is that uh, he's not setting himself up in a place where uh, everyone should look at him and see how righteous he is or anything like that. What he's saying is that I'm setting aside all the things that have gone on in the past and I'm going to continue to strive towards God. I'm going to lean forward towards the calling which is in Christ. And so tonight I, I, I want us to understand that to be perfect is not anything that you could do in yourself. And so you can't be better, you can't do better or anything like that. Really what it is is a, it's a surrender and, and setting yourself aside and saying, God, I just need you to be in my life. God, I need your, I need your characteristics. I need you I need you to be manifested in my life. And so listen to this. If you are in Christ, you are perfect. If you are in Christ, you are perfect. Not because of anything we can do. Our own human standards fall terribly short. 
It is solely the redeeming grace of God that he's lavished on all of those that would surrender their will to him and make him Lord of their lives. It's the scandal of grace that Christ took our shame on the cross so that we can be made perfect in God's sight. So Matthew 5, 48, be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so I read to you in Romans that we're all, we're, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That means that we're all in good company. Now, the, the difference between that is understanding that, coming to a realization of that, and saying, you have two options. Number one is denial. Number one is saying, I'm okay, I'm, I'm going to be all right. And number two is realization and recognizing the fact that without God, we're doomed to hell. That's just the reality. Jesus talked about hell all throughout his sermons. And uh, the, the hell, the, the picture, I, I, I want to paint this picture for you. And this is not, I'm not trying to scare you. It's not fright tactics, nothing like that. It's just truth. So what, what, when Jesus is talking about hell, he's talking about Gehenna. That's, 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 the, that's the, the location. And the location was outside of Jerusalem. And it was a fire, it was basically a dumpster fire. Massive dumpster fire. And so that's, it, it was a continuous fire that was always burning. And they would go out and take the trash from the city and dump it in there. Now before that, they also used that same place for human sacrifice. And so uh, what, what scholars say and what historians say is that there was always this, this smell of human flesh being burnt. And so as Jesus was painting this picture of hell, it was eternal separation from God. We understand that. When I say that, that doesn't sound so bad. But when I tell you that hell is going to be eternal torment in which you'll never die, says that the worm will never die, that's very, very different. And so Jesus used, he, he used this because it was something that everyone was familiar with. They understood it. They understood uh, how horrible it was. They knew what it smelled like. They could picture themselves in that place. And it painted, it painted this very, very distinct picture. But Jesus was not shy. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't scared to offend anyone. He wanted to tell people the truth. And so I, I tell you this tonight. Um, we're called to tell the truth. And many of us, many of us have family members, many of us have co-workers, um, many of us have neighbors that are far from God. They don't know God. Um, and we're okay with that. And we say that by our deeds. We say that by not sharing our faith or not inviting people to church or inviting them to your connect group or just, just sharing a good word or, or even, even worse yet, being a bad testimony and not showing love and not showing forgiveness and not showing grace. And people wonder, how can you have the love of God in you when you can't even forgive me for what I've done? And so I, wanna, I want us to, if you would, just bow your heads. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.